a podcast about horror movies and what they mean to us. I'm your host, Kristen Lighty, and tonight we have with us, I'm so excited, live, in person, in my house, it's uh, Rena Kong. Hi. <laughs> We're here. We're doing it. We're doing it. I have to preface this episode with this is the first in-person podcast recording I have done since, I want to say, maybe 2019. Wow. Yeah, that would track. Yeah. <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> it took us a little while to get this setup put together. Time um, just flies when you're scared of reality. <laughs> and fiddling with wires. Yeah, the last <laughs> few years really just blink together in a different kind of like a crisis goulash, you yeah. know? Yeah, it yeah. really did. I, uh, I've lost track of time completely. It feels like an abstract concept that has no application in my life. It's been nice to, I've, this is, I think, my third time here, or at least second. I think maybe it's just my second. I don't know. I want to say third. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Third time's yeah. the charm. Yeah. <laughs> Comedy <laughs> works in threes. But I think that the other two times I visited were so, like, there was no talk of doing a podcast then because I think that the survival mode was too real of like, you know what? I'm just here to relax and uh, have a little quiet breakdown, but now I'm ready to record my <laughs> breakdown. <laughs> yes, yes. Get it on the pod. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the real, real horror film is when you wake up in the morning. Uh, <laughs> Well, I have to say, you know, you're someone I've wanted to have on for a long time, but you always said, I don't like horror movies. It's not that I don't like them. I just don't, I'm not, when I started talking to you more about what qualified as a horror movie, I was like, oh, I like, it's like country music. I would oh. say, I don't like country music, but I love Johnny Cash and I love Willie Nelson and there's other ones that I like, like I love Dolly Parton. So mm -hmm. I think it's just like something about the horror film genre made me think it had to be like all gory or slasher films. I didn't think of it as also incorporating like, well, what's scary to you or mm -hmm. just suspense in general and more than not liking horror films it's more the real scare is how little time I have to enjoy a movie uh, you mm -hmm. know so I don't do that much and it was nice to do that with you here and yeah also in preparation <laughs> hell yeah. yeah yeah Rena was here this weekend performing at the Tarleton Theater in Green Bay which ugh, it was such a fun show awesome. it was so amazing to have you headline there so it was happy you could so come. nice Sorry, I didn't was too excited. I'm interrupting you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know you've headlined that theater before, and you weren't the one that set this show up, but Fox Valley set it up for us, Fox Valley Comedy, and I knew it was nice because you'd done it there before, and I know you're not going to just take credit for this, but I do feel like the difference between the first show I did in Green Bay versus the one we did this weekend was just a really nice example of progress and evolution in a place <laughs> where there's, I don't know, people are coming out and doing what they like and not afraid of, I don't know, having a good time, which feels, that's the real scare is having a good time these days. <laughs> Everybody's afraid to just have a fun time. Well, you know, I think, you know, comedy hasn't been very big in Green Bay and People have to figure out that it's sort of like music. You know, you find what you like. Yeah. And not everything is for everybody. You know, like most of my friends like very weird punk rock indie bands. So, like, you have to find those comedians as well. Like totally. you, you know, like that aren't just spinning the same boring stereotypes. I've always thought how strange it is, too, that with music, there are so many genres and subgenres, but for comedy, it's like basically most people don't have a differentiation between different kinds of comics besides like maybe puppets or not. <laughs> you know, 
I think comics even have like two categories of like alt or club comic, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. even though there's many within that, like there's impressionists, there's storytellers, there's one liners, there's all kinds of different comedy styles, but people don't care what the style is unless they're going to see somebody that they're like, oh, that sounds like something I'd like. Most of the time you'll just say, we're going to see a comedian. Yeah. Comedy. Yeah. yeah. And never read the bio. Yeah. I'm going to the doctor. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> for what? You know, doctor medical. stuff? Yeah. <laughs> Do you want dinner? What are we having? Food. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What's on the menu? See how I do a segue? I'm good. <laughs> Pro shit over here. <laughs> yeah. For us to talk about tonight, Rena has chosen the menu, which... So excited you chose it. It uh, when I saw it, I couldn't wait to watch it again. So why yeah. why did you pick the menu? Um somebody had mentioned that it was good. I didn't know what it was about and that's been my thing lately with movies that get my interest are ones that I know the least about. The only other movie I really watched last year was uh that came out last year was Everything Everywhere All at Once oh, where yeah. such a good movie, but I remember seeing something about it like don't even look it up, just go see it. Mm-hmm. And with the menu, I was instantly curious about it maybe you'd mentioned it to me that it was good or I don't know but or maybe I brought it up when we were chatting but I think I did because I told everyone okay (laughs) well either way I'd heard it was good and uh because I worked in the service industry for so long it kind of piqued my interest and like I haven't seen the bear the show about working either I have no interest in that it just looks too sweaty and anxiety ridden like and I've worked in places like that yeah I don't want to go back there, man. Yeah. So I didn't know what the menu was even about, but I had a feeling it was related to a menu. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And I'm like, I know about menus. (laughs) So that was my basically interest. (laughs) But yeah, it was great. I loved it. And it was super spooky and surprising. And I told my brother that I was going to watch that for like an assignment. He was like, oh, it's really good. You're not going to expect what comes. Like I, He said he would watch it again, so I got excited. Uh, oh, and then nice. I watched it alone, but still. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> very shocking. Definitely something that is so shocking that you don't really process it until, like I think, on the second viewing or later on where you're like, oh, I have a lot of thoughts all of a sudden. Yeah, and yeah. And for those of you who don't know, uh, Bloody Mary, we go full spoilers. So if you haven't seen this yet, it's available on HBO Max. And go check it out and come on back. It's so good. And this is the story of Margot and Tyler who are shipped off to Hawthorne Island for a very fancy $1,250 dinner. $1,250 per person. Yes. Uh, And then chaos unfolds as they find out what the menu is truly about. So I got to say, you know, what themes jumped out at you in this movie? (laughs) I love how you're asking that as if you don't want (laughs) to shout, class warfare. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. I thought there was a lot of like hidden emotional depth of romance and childhood and class warfare. Yeah, yeah, that was really the overarching theme of the whole movie. It was not... (laughs) I liked it because it wasn't super scary or gory in the sense that it was more definitely like the intense... There was a little bit of like gore in it, but it was mostly the intensity of the the thrill and the... 
the tension that was mounting throughout the whole entire thing. So I feel like I can handle that better. Plus their eyes are a little black during some of like their yeah, eyes are creepy in shark it. Eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's like about, that's about my threshold for when I'm like, Oh, this is fun. And I'm not like actually a little bit scared. Yeah. <laughs> well, especially, you know, uh, someone who worked service industry and I'm sure you feel this as well. The people in this movie who are being held hostage, who, you know, like if it was everyday life, maybe we would feel bad for putting them in this setting. You love to hate them. Yeah, and that was the other really beautiful thing about it is that I think the only really unsettling part of it still was the theme, I guess, the underlying part of it being like a little bit of a cult Mm -hmm. where everyone who works there is also kind of meets their demise at the end. Um, Sorry, you said spoiler alert, like it was going to blows themselves up in the kitchen, you know, like I just feel like there's part of it that really felt like a cult. They're all like, we love you, chef. And it felt like we're a family here. Yeah, there's like (laughs) class warfare, but also just like celebrity obsession involved to her, like power dynamics. And like the scariest thing about it was how the people who were paying for this torture to happen to themselves, you find out that they knew that it was going to happen. They knew that they were going to die. Like you have to imagine they were advertised this meal, this menu concept as you're going to die for this. And maybe they didn't take it seriously. Mm -hmm. But the more you watch it, the more you're like, maybe they were told and knew exactly what was going to happen. It's like people in those positions of wealth or whatever don't actually understand when something bad is happening to them. Yes. Or they just are so entitled that they couldn't conceive that it could happen to them. They automatically assume they will be excluded and saved because of who they are. Like that one moment when the rich like uh, finance bros ask for bread. They're like, hey, this is cute. We get it, the whole thing. But can we get some bread? And the creepy, amazing Asian host. uh, Elsa. Elsa. Yeah, so good. Concierge, whoever she is. Yeah, she leans in. She's like you will get less than you desire and more than you deserve. (laughs) And it just sends chills. Yeah, I loved, I loved that. Super creepy, but you don't feel bad for them because even one of the characters, Margot, proves that if they were decent people, they could get out of it very easily. Yeah. If, and, and I think that's where their entitlement really trapped them because they all thought they didn't work together to overpower the staff and get out of there because they all thought they individually would be saved. They didn't organize at all. No, no they it was didn't. Hilarious. Like, uh, not to quote, like, even Tyler's line in the beginning in the first dish they have is an oyster and he starts laughing. He's like, it's laughably good. And it's like. They're laughably bad at Mm -hmm. figuring out what's going on and how to get out of it. It's like it was actually a really funny movie at parts because of how not smart they are. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Just totally inept. Yeah. There was some like torture stuff, too, as far as like the owner getting drowned slowly. But none of it was really... I don't know. It all felt just in this weird way. Like it was just with like what was the guy getting his finger cut off. It's like he cheated on his wife. So, you know, sorry. I'm going to say everything that happened. I hope that's normal. No, I'm glad you brought that up because (laughs) I do feel like the punishments in this movie fall in line with the seven deadly sins. Mm. So Dick, who had his finger cut off, you know, he cheated on his wife. And of course his name is Dick. Yeah. He had been at Hawthorne so many times he didn't even know how many times he'd been there. He couldn't even remember a dish they had served. So I think, you know, that's his sin. 
And then, of course, greed with the finance bros. Mm-hmm. And what would his wife's sin have been besides as we figured out by the end dick's wife that he cheated on seemed more like an innocent victim in the whole thing but she also lived a life so extravagant that she was able to take for granted this culinary art and everything that went into it but then it wasn't super clear but it seems clear if you like especially on the second watching that he was molesting his daughter and we don't know how much she let that happen but she nods at Margot as Margot's leaving just to be like yeah go on like I deserve to be here this is the look on her face it was interesting that they cut to her because they didn't have a lot of character bonding between the two of them right but it was almost like the mother in that scene was the deciding factor of like forsake us, just get out of here. <laughs> You're better yeah, than us. You are innocent. It was strange because they didn't interact the whole movie, even though they like she was asking about her because mm-hmm. she noticed there was a weirdness with like why does why is she looking at us or yeah. whatever. And so, if anything, like, you would think the wife could be mad at the sex worker, but instead she's just like, yeah, get out of here. Like, you don't deserve to be a part of this. Mm-hmm. We talked, I think, about that, too, about how this movie is very pro-sex work but without it being, like, in your face about it. Like, it's very normalizing for sex work as far as considering it just part of the service industry. Yeah, a provider of experiences. Yeah. Which I really, you know, sex work is work, so I feel like to put that in a major motion picture is, is really awesome. Yeah. I have a joke about sex work is wholesome, but H-O-L-E. some. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk more about Elsa because she is my favorite character in this movie she was maybe the spookiest character yeah. I really am troubled more than the class warfare element that seems like a yeah like a commentary on something or justice or whatever but I'm definitely more bothered about the cult-like environment because having worked in so many crappy jobs there is also that element of working somewhere where you're supposed to be like obsessed with your job Mm-hmm. You know, and the way that they lived, like she gives them a tour, uh, the, she gives the customers a tour of like their barracks where they all live uh, while they prepare these meals. And it's like their toilets are just in the open air with these very <laughs> plain bunk bed, like, or sorry, not bunk beds, but just it's it's like a prison. It looks Cots. like. Arm- yeah. yeah. That doesn't feel far off from how it is to work in the service industry because you're never comfortable. It's never about your comfort. Or even if you're working in food service, it's never about if you're hungry or Mm -hmm. if you get to eat. And so with her, it was weird, too, because she seemed to be, like, in love with the chef. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, I don't know. Is that a product of, like, you actually love this man or have you been just, like, Stockholm syndromed on an island for (laughs) so long? Yeah, we'll never know. I I just really loved her cold, authoritative grasp on all the clients, or customers, rather. We gel. (laughs) (laughs) I just love how she took no shit from any of them. I think one of my favorite scenes was when the tortillas came out and the finance bros were exposed for creating faulty invoices to essentially do fraud. Yeah. Um, They're like, what is this? And she's like, these are tortillas. (laughs) Tortillas. Delicioso. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like she's, like the chef clearly went unhinged. I kind of wish we got more from the rest of the kitchen staff as Mm -hmm. far as like a little bit more of their perspective or attitude. They seemed all very brainwashed by the plan and the menu and the situation 
So like the only staff members that even stuck out were her because she had lines mm-hmm. and the sommelier played by peter gross oh yes formerly of second city <laughs> and Chicago shout out yeah wait wait don't <laughs> tell me fame and writing on shows he's in new york now doing stand-up peter remember me <laughs> peter <laughs> peter i was the wait staff when you were the star <laughs> peter okay so <laughs> Yeah, he plays a sommelier, and he's got a really different demeanor than the rest of the staff. Like, he's also going to die with the rest of them, but he's, like, gleeful about, like, their demise at times. Mm -hmm. Like, he laughs at them a couple of times, and that just seems super out of character for the rest of their suicide mission staff, like the kamikaze chefs. Yeah. So that was interesting and also made him seem extra creepy and, like, maybe he should die. Peter. And then the other guy who is the chef who uh, shoots himself during what before one of the courses um, in front of them all. I mean, that's a really jarring moment. The mess. Yes. The mess. Yeah. It's weird that the rest of them just didn't have lines or personalities, but were still sacrificial. Well, there was Aaron who I really enjoyed. Oh, right, right, right. The sous chef. Yeah. Yeah. I she was great. I especially love the part where, um, you know, Lily the restaurateur or no, mm. she's not a restaurateur. She's a restaurant critic, critic. Yeah. Is trying to like bribe her into letting them live. That was such a beautiful scene for the fact that like, as soon as the women were isolated with the female sous chef, they all kind of tried to enter into this unspoken mode of communication of like girl code mm-hmm. or like, we're going to unionize as women and yeah. like get this taken care of. We'll escape this abusive man. Yeah. And just the way they all gave up so quickly, like, every one of them knows enough about a bitch that's crazy about a dude. That, yeah. like, as soon as she said, like, oh, the m- everybody dying was my idea. I'm super proud of it. <laughs> Nobody she was so satisfied with herself. I loved it. <laughs> and, like, it was just kind of funny to watch them all turn off from, like, even trying to connect to her, react, or, you mm-hmm. know, stop it. They're like, oh, okay. I love the line so much, too, when uh, Lily Sorry, is trying. It's like, it's like that booker that we were talking about at Zany's uh, <laughs> <laughs> in Chicago, old booker. She's not there anymore, but how it's like, it's like a known thing that she's crazy and she's a woman. So you're like, oh, maybe she'll like me. But it's like, no, she's going get, to get you killed. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. When there's a misogynistic joke, she is laughing the hardest. Yeah. That's a weird feeling. Cindy! <laughs> <laughs> times <laughs> oh no zanies will book me less zanies book peter <laughs> <laughs> she's not with zanies anymore but i don't want to i really i yeah it doesn't matter just ruined my uh, comedy childhood anyway uh <laughs> oh no i have so many stories and anyway what i loved about the scene with aaron was lily was trying to bribe her you know and aaron just looks her dead in the eyes and says oh there is a time when that would have meant so much to me mm. and uh i feel that with a lot of comedy rooms too like there's a time when uh, getting booked in your room would have mattered so much. Totally. Yeah. And now I'd rather just go live in the woods. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's also interesting to think about like how people, especially in like hustle culture, will reach a point of burnout, but then keep moving, you know? Yeah, exactly. 
it's just weird how people will sh- reach a point of total burnout but then keep functioning in whatever the space they're in like people don't <laughs> people don't have a meltdown and then get sent away for it's like the movie drop dead fred <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, this is a twofer. But twofer, baby. We just watched it. <laughs> that woman had a blatant and obvious psychological distress and problems, and mm-hmm. people just held her accountable for regular everyday life. So I'm thinking, like, in the context of like in a working in an environment where you've lost your mind and given up and been pushed past a point where a compliment matters to you or credit matters to you, you're broken already, but you keep functioning in this weird role where, like, that's where. I can relate to that so much of like somebody trying to talk to me excited about some monthly $50 spot that I could get if I pass through their random town and they try to approach you about it and you're like, yeah, you don't know who you're talking to. I (laughs) want to drive my car into a wall. (laughs) The whole wall, not just the corner. I can do the show, but don't you dare talk to me about the future. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, (laughs) oh, you want to know comedy? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Mr. Handsome Boy. Actually, I do horror comedy. Uh, <laughs> I do slasher comedy. Where I slash your dreams. I'll make you laugh and then I'll slash your dreams. Your eyes are scaring me. <laughs> yep. Uh, I could definitely s- sense that theme in the film. Like they said, you are why the mystery has been <laughs> drained from our art. I felt a real mm. um, kinship with that line. Or there was a line the chef gave about the artists, uh, the art that turns to shit in your stomach or whatever. Mm-hmm. And just thinking about the way different kinds of art is processed. And ultimately, yeah, food is one of the most depressing things to think about in that way. Because, yeah, you can process it as nutrients and all that good stuff. But ultimately, it does all turn to shit. And so these people that are spending $1,200 on we haven't even talked about how the food to me was all disgusting. Yeah. It was a joke. Yeah. It was, well, it was a joke to make fun of them, but even the stuff that I guess would have been considered fancy or pricey to me is not something I would ever want. Like I don't eat a lot of shellfish anyway, but like a raw scallop sounds revolting to me. Yeah. Yeah. Seasoned with seawater, you know, (laughs) like (laughs) you find on the shore. Yeah. So a plate of shit. Yeah, <laughs> my dad went to a restaurant like that when I was a teenager, and he call I called him after, and I was like, "What'd you think? Was it fancy?" And he's like, "We left hungry and went to Taco Bell on the way home. I hated it." <laughs> I remember my dad used to take us to this restaurant on the Cape that was called the No Name Restaurant, and he <laughs> liked it because there was like a train that went around the ceiling, and we were kosher, but we ate fish, and. I just remember the last time we went there, we had really slow service, and he left on the credit card receipt where they said tip. He wrote, here's a tip, and then he said, like, next time, like, pay attention to your tables, or just, like, something mean and Mm. advice that was not money. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, we never went back there, but, you know, that server probably killed somebody (laughs) 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 at a later date. We escaped the death that day, (laughs) but we caused somebody else's in the future. Uh, I do love how this movie focuses on how much customers expect from service industry people. Like, it's not just about bringing you the food, right? You have to create an experience. You have to make sure they're emotionally happy. They're invited. They feel welcome. 
Well, even you saying that, making sure they're emotionally happy gives me more, I guess, clarity where I said I felt unresolved about the staff and how they didn't have personalities or responses or anything. But like, that's exactly how the staff is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Like when you work in the service industry for an extended period of time, you start to get worn out by how little your comfort or emotions or anything Mm -hmm. is of any relevance or importance to anyone. Not your boss, not anybody, you know. It's always about the customer being impressed, dazzled, and wowed. And like, oh, yeah, I've had some horrible, horrible. I mean, I just was thinking about the job where I was like basically working in a mosh pit, getting kicked in the legs and covered in bruises every night to bring people beer and cheese curds, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like an expected subservience and smile while you do it. Exactly. And that's what used to, uh, that's what wore me out when we were talking about customer service, where once I started doing comedy, which is fancy complaining. (laughs) I couldn't... Winky complaining. Yeah, it's like fun (laughs) complaining, okay? And once I was actively looking for ways to make complaining fun, I had a hard time faking it at service industry jobs and ended up deciding that I could do a call center because I just can't hide it on my face anymore when people Mm. are fucking dense, you know, or rude. Don't you feel like people are meaner to you on the phone, though, when they can't see your face? Yeah, but I'm flipping them off. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah. or I can put them on hold if they get out of control or, you know, there's more power on my end. I mean, people are so rude in person, too. That's true. Yeah. So. I did love when Tyler and Margot were, you know, first entering the restaurant and Tyler was just so jazzed they were that they knew his name. And he kept saying to Margot, they know my name. They know my name. And Margot said, I noticed you didn't ask his name. Yeah. And he just looked at her like blankly, like, why would I? He was a horrible character. Ooh, and he boy. was psychotic. I mean, I'm glad he missed the dessert. Because, uh, <laughs> like, he's the only one that would have, like, really liked it. He would have really loved being cooked. <laughs> oh, he would have been so excited. But, yeah, that guy had no reaction to anything horrible that happened. I remember seeing in there, before we even were clear that she was a sex worker, and before we were clear that he hired her knowing she'd be killed, like, a moment when she was, was just a quick moment, she tried telling him about her childhood or a restaurant in her hometown where she grew up, and he just cut her off and was like, do you think he likes me about the chef? Yeah, yeah. And then another moment later on where she wasn't paying it, he felt neglected because she wasn't paying attention to him. It's such a one-sided transaction. Oh, she made a comment about her perspective from being in the customer service industry as a sex worker gave her the perspective to be able to say, like, screw him if he likes you. You're paying him. Mm-hmm. He works for you here. Yeah. And he didn't understand that at all, but he was, like, listening when it was about that, you know? Mm-hmm. It was really weird seeing that he had very selective attention. Yeah, Tyler was terrifying. And uh, just the way that, like, when Jeremy presented the mess, he was like, <laughs> like what a show yeah like so pretentious about food that you're like oh feel uh oysters gross me out in general so like talking about i think probably the most disgusting thing about an oyster is the mouth feel yeah you know that has to be the main reason i won't eat them is because of the feel in your mouth no thank you yuck I think it was interesting that they did throw in a little bit of diversity with the finance bros, but other, and John Leguizamo also, Mm -hmm. but 
Yeah, I don't know. It felt like it would have been a racial commentary as well if it was just an all-white customer base, you know? I, I mean, don't know. they're not wrong. But they're not. <laughs> John Leguizamo, I thought, was strange, too. Like, I didn't really understand his sin, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I think as pride? a fellow artist. Is it pride, you think? Maybe pride. Oh, actually, for pride, I was thinking Lily, the restaurant critic. And how she used her pride to destroy other people's businesses. But I think with John Leguizamo's character, it's the idea of like another artist, like seeing him sell out. Mm. Which, you know, in the 90s, I was all about pointing out sellouts. But now I'm like, yeah, get paid, you know. (laughs) Do that Target commercial. Yeah, you need Uh, money, baby. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was thinking about how when John Leguizamo was in The Pest, like, I loved that movie. But Do you think I that's what the movie was f- like winky about? Or I haven't seen it, so I don't I know. I don't think so. I don't think enough people saw The Pest to yeah. for it to be an issue. But like, I loved that movie, but I could totally see people being like, oh my God, I can't stand John. Did you ever see The Pest? What a nightmare. <laughs> 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 uh, it's no Drop Dead Fred, but it is good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it would be, this weekend could be ruined though, real quick, if y- I make you watch The Pest after this. <laughs> Like, you have to leave. <laughs> oh, we were friends, and then <laughs> the past happened. I'm glad that we watched it again because there were so many moments leading up to it that were so subtle, but, like, once you know what happens, you can see it kind of, like, weaving together, and before you know what's going to happen, it all just seems like more tension, like more awkward tension, mm-hmm. and more black eyeballs. And <laughs> yeah. So, in the end, Margot is able to escape because she taps into chef's true passion for cooking and a place where chef was happy when he was cooking burgers, you know? Yeah. And I really loved that. And I was curious, Rena Calm, what is your cooking burgers moment or feeling? Oh, man. When I w- you mean like as a comedian? Or anything in life, really. Uh, What's your nugget of joy you've hung on to? I mean... I feel like any time I have a new joke feels like that, Mm. you know, any new joke is the most fun thing to work on. And like, it feels, I love when my like tested material works, like that never gets old, but there's something so exciting about like, I've done always so much of my writing on stage where I'll kind of go up with a loose structure of something and then based on how the audience is laughing or just what flies in my head, I'll come Mm -hmm. up with like riffs and lines that are puns that I want to keep forever. And I feel like I do a lot of my writing like that on stage. So I think that like those moments when that happens and I say something good enough that I'm like, I'm going to say that again. Mm -hmm. Um, That's my burgers probably. Nice. Yeah. See, I don't think you're anywhere near in danger being... Like near chef then with your comedy if you in no. that moment of being present and enjoying it. And no, but I mean that's the cooking part of it. It's not, and that's interactive with the customers. So it, I don't think I'm near chef at all. But the burnout, absolutely. I mean, doing stand up comedy, doing even the way they describe cooking on the island. They start at six a.m. and they're working until two a.m. and then they poop and sleep next to each other. I mean. <laughs> Yeah. W- with an obsession when it's like you're 
art is your job. It's your obsession. And I mean, I wake up thinking about the things I need to do. I go to sleep trying to get emails ready or whatever. Like the work that goes into being able to have those moments of burgers on stage Mm -hmm. is the burnout. I never am getting burnt out from, I mean, I will get definitely annoyed if there's like a bad audience or hecklers that are ruining the show or stealing the focus or whatever stopping me from being able to have fun with the rest of the people there they're ruining my burgers yes but you're burning my burger yeah but otherwise i mean those moments are so good that it it's the whole point and it makes it all worth it and i try to keep that really sacred and under like remember always like that's the point of doing this and that's the reason of doing it otherwise my burnout would have gotten to me a long time ago in the last few years for sure mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah What's your burgers? Oh, that's a great question. Isn't it? You threw one at me <laughs> similar to it not too long ago. And I was like, oh, that really made me think. I'm the interviewer. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, honestly, I've just been trying to focus on moments of happiness in the everyday. So like just trying to find gratitude and being present because I have a really hard time with that. I love to disassociate as you know (laughs) yeah you know what though I get it Kristen showed me now as we're recording live right next to her disassociation wall (laughs) (laughs) she's got a really nice uh, Nespresso coffee maker so I've also enjoyed the feeling of having a nice Nespresso latte and then just staring at the wall to disassociate for a minute it's a good way to start the day (laughs) (laughs) I think you could switch up the order depends on your schedule yeah but, you know, for a while I was getting really, like, s- hung up on the idea that I needed an album and I needed to do certain things. And I realized, like, the focus I want is just creating new pieces and doing, like, fun little 10-minute sets that really don't matter in the scheme of, like, hustle culture. Mm-hmm. But, like, they make me very happy. I mean... And, like, being able to do comedy about Green Bay, like, the coal yeah. piles on the river, like... I don't know. There's something really beautiful about creating something so intimate. I love watching you, like, be able to speak to, like, what... I mean, it's intimidating to have to follow you in Green Bay because it doesn't matter that I feel good about my jokes and uh, stuff like that. Like, the ability to connect with people on that level, to talk to them about, like, the stuff they see every day and think about all the time. I'm trying really hard to find those things for half an hour or however long I'm up there an hour, like, and hope to find enough of them to keep them connected and on that wavelength but when you have local references that really stick out I mean I don't do it often but that helps every show if I can think of something that's about them and Mm -hmm. you know yeah I was a little nervous being in San Diego last week I was like oh my god will any of this translate and luckily it did (laughs) 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 yep Wisconsin drunks and murderers they got it Yeah, well, also, I feel like, especially after the last few years, everybody's kind of moved around so much that, and everything's been online so much that I think we have a lot of different things in common now than we used to. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really true. I feel like there's no other event that everyone in the world has experienced at the same time. So that's pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy, and it's also pretty alienating, like, when you think about how... I bet like families used to get less split up about politics and stuff like that. Like we all experienced the same thing, but like, I don't know, there was no avoiding the conversations. There was no avoiding the discourse and stuff like that. And so 
really since like 2016, it feels like there's just been like this unavoidable thing that we're all talking about more than we used to mm-hmm. because of being online and then mm-hmm. being stuck indoors just pushed it to another level. Yeah, I think we liked each other more when we didn't know what everyone thought all the time. And what I've been noticing, speaking of the service industry, and I think it's absolutely connected because you had mentioned how you liked that they mentioned COVID in the movie and it gives Mm, it this mm -hmm. place and time and this reality to it that I feel like a lot of projects kind of don't even touch on. Yeah, it's weird. And one of the things is that, you know, the owner kept him open during COVID and then he's like, yeah, he complained. And like rich people not understanding, like being so offended that this man who funded you to keep your art like alive during the pandemic, how could you not respect him? They can't even begin to comprehend the mentality that people who worked in the service industry or, I mean, healthcare workers or anybody who had an essential job had to go through of, like, still making dick for money, mm-hmm. but having to go out there and do it. Exactly. And having to deliver people. F- I, I started doing Postmates at one point during COVID, like in the early days of COVID. And I remember I accepted an order and it took me to a shopping mall food court for like a $5 order. And I just canceled because I'm like, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to walk into a multiplex of businesses with who knows how many people to make $4 today. Yeah, exactly. And the National Restaurant Association, that's right, there's another terrible NRA. They've been (laughs) lobbying for decades to keep tipped wages so low that they are basically subserv like poverty wages and meanwhile inflation's gotten so bad that people are absolutely right that it's not kind of fair to have to tip also i mean they're going to pay for it either way but to be raising the prices to a point and then also like be mad that people aren't tipping while they're getting worse service yeah. and then what happened the government decided during covid to give everyone 10 days of paid sick time which I felt put a glaring magnification on the fact that we don't have sick time for people in this country, but we could. We could. We and could also and we did, but we won't anymore. And also, I'm somebody that didn't get any sick time or any unemployment, and I had to like raw dog it through survival during the entire lockdown. And so when the opportunity to entertain people arose again when it didn't feel safe, I did that, and that was a real mind bender Mm -hmm. because I was the farthest thing from, I was homeless. Like, Mm -hmm. I had places to stay, so I don't like using that word, and I don't think you're supposed to use it anymore. I don't know. I feel like if you've done it, you're allowed to say it. But, like, (laughs) I was on paper part of, you know, that's my status. And so having to, to get on stage and make people laugh, I don't care if they're a bunch of, unmasked a-hole ignorant people in O'Fallon, Missouri. (laughs) I don't care if that's what it is. I still take it seriously. I'm there to entertain people. But having to like, (sighs) I mean, this is off topic kind of, but during 2019, I ended up having to take like a month off. And at that time, I remember taking even three weeks off of performing felt like an eternity. I couldn't believe I was going to go headline a show after three weeks without performing and I was so scared of it Mm -hmm. but then I had a good show and I had to be clean and the guy was racist and it was a horrible time and (laughs) anyway like yeah uh right before I got on stage he goes you sure you didn't make a mistake coming out here and anyway whatever he also took the word Jewish out of my bio because he didn't want anybody to get the wrong idea what wow I crushed it 
Hell yeah. And that experience in 2019 helped me in 2020 to like understand what was happening, which is so many comics I talked to when we were getting back into performance said stuff about how they were nervous or like they didn't know how to get up there. Or people even know how to listen anymore. And just all this self-obsession about it. When at the end of the day, nobody's here to make you feel better. Mm-hmm. That's your job. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to get up there with confidence and show these people who risked their lives to come out and watch a comedy show tonight or whatever, you know, be in public during this time. Like it's they're here to have fun. And all you need to do is like be confident that you can do that, you know, say whatever up there. But going up there with that energy of like, I'm here to serve you. I'm here to show you fun. Mm-hmm. And just knowing that that's your role and not letting the I had to say to it has I'd been doing it since as soon as we could. I was doing outdoor shows. I was doing Zoom shows, anything to earn money doing comedy. So after several months of doing that, still hearing people talk about feeling nervous about going on stage at a certain point, I would just like I started having a mentality about it. Like if you need somebody to make you feel better about getting on stage, you're going up at a deficit. Mm hmm. You know, because it's your job to make people feel good. So anyway, all that is to say that getting through any of these service industry, which comedy, I feel like is part of that entertainment, Mm -hmm. getting through these positions, through the uncertain times that we all went through, jaded people on a whole new level. So these guys in the fancy restaurant that stayed open and tried creating these unique experiences that people took for granted while they were under incredible duress and instability that's unspoken but that feels like a part of it Mm because that's how it feels out there Mm -hmm. right now yes i've gotten such horrible service in the last few years all over the place and i always tip more because i feel worse for them i feel like people are cracking Mm -hmm. i've been having this really dumb thing happen lately a lot and it's really bothering me because Everything's so expensive now. And if you're a server, I get it. You're burnt out and it's a horrible job sometimes. But if you're charging, I don't know, like $15 for an appetizer and you're going around in between courses, clearing stuff out of the way and you notice there's still like quite a bit of the appetizer left on the plate, we're still working on it. (laughs) I'm so sick of servers taking food away from me that still, if it's, I mean, at least even if it's one bite, I'm probably going to eat it. This is an expensive meal. It's delicious. Unless I put my napkin on my plate. Yeah. I'm probably just taking my time and going to eat it. I get if you need to turn the table over, but if I'm like still eating, let me finish. Yeah. (laughs) No one takes food from me. Peter. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So what were your favorite parts of this movie? (laughs) Oh, is my COVID rant finished? Sorry, is it? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> listeners, you don't know what happened. Is she probably edited that out? But <laughs> I just got pretty upset. <laughs> no, I think what you're saying this is, is like an hour, so it's like therapy. Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> I agree with what you're saying, and I think it's reflected in the fact that unions are really popular right now, and people want to organize, and they realize that they have to to make ends meet because they've been taken advantage of for decades Mm -hmm. and there is no pulling yourself up by your bootstraps anymore i actually think inflation's on the rise to force people back into the job market i saw i was listening to some npr thing about how big money people in charge are raising interest rates 
because that's the best way to balance out the inflation is to raise the interest. And as a comedian, that's why money does not make sense because, okay, when prices go up, you raise the interest. But as a comedian, you need to raise the interest in you before you can raise your prices. <laughs> like, <laughs> you need a lot more interest yeah. before you can ask for more money. Yeah, I don't know. It all sounds like a nightmare. It all sounds like we definitely have enough money to afford all surviving. And I don't understand why, as a country, we don't recognize that we're only as strong as our weakest link. I think You know what one of my favorite parts of the movie was? Was one of the parts I could really relate to on not even plot related was seeing that I think they shot it on Jekyll Island in Georgia, which is a place I've mm. stopped at and visited and had a nice like scenic moment relaxing and enjoying the sunset at, um, which is free entertainment uh, seven nights a week. <laughs> and yeah, that aspect of it, I think really connected me to it right away because I couldn't relate to people spending a lot of money on an exclusive service experience, but I've been cool places. <laughs> I've seen a better view than what they showed in the movie. Yes. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> I also really liked seeing Peter because, you know, I just like seeing him and stuff. And so I really liked that. And I loved, I think probably my favorite part of the movie is her big standoff at the end with the chef mm. when she complains and sends her food back. Yes. Power move. Yeah. Like just completely locking into the power dynamics of like, yeah, even though this man is going to murder and torture us, the customer's always right. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. These yeah. people elevated what he's doing beyond the point of it being food service, so they never appreciated the art, and they lost all of the power dynamics of the experience. There's yeah. no serving people that can't be impressed. Ooh, shit. Yeah. I gotta say, my favorite part was when the he's not a lifeguard he's like a oh the coast guard the coast guard yes yeah. it comes in and they think they're gonna be saved and oh my god he's got a gun hooray he's gonna save us shoot the chef and then he lights the candle and you find out he's in on it yeah which i think was really beautiful in showing how the systems within this country exist to protect wealth totally that whole interaction was super eerie, and I think, like, there was something about the casting of the Coast Guard that, like, really threw me off. Like, I feel like everybody else in the movie kind of looks like they're a, a movie actor, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. he kind of just looked like he got off a bus, yeah. you know? <laughs> he did look like a regular guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, and I loved the uh, when they brought a birthday cake out to the finance bros, and they're like, you told him it was my birthday? Oh, yeah. And they're like, it seemed really funny three hours ago. <laughs> Yeah, there's so many dark, funny moments in it. Just, I don't know. You know, it's funny that I think a lot of the comedy comes from the awkwardness of wealthy people. And just like, I mean, rich people are the absolute worst audience Yeah, you've, I've <laughs> ever had to entertain in my life. I'll enter, I've entertained, I had to teach a comedy class to three 13-year-old boys. <laughs> And it took six weeks for one of them to be like, oh, you're kind of funny. And that was better than mm -hmm. like performing for like an hors d'oeuvres crowd. Oh, yeah. I find when I perform for rich people, I won't get a laugh. I'll get the aw. They're all so embarrassed to be seen expressing joy or enjoying yeah. you or 
Yeah. So waspy. Yeah. Meanwhile, like they won't be dare caught laughing at something inappropriate or an off color remark. But meanwhile, they absolutely like know people that have like, I don't know, hired molestation rings and like, you know, have weird torture chambers in their basement and Republican cocaine swinger parties or (laughs) (laughs) whatever they're doing. I'm totally pro pro cocaine Republican swingers. I'm sorry. (laughs) Pro cocaine swingers. Uh, I think it's just Republicans, right? Yeah, <laughs> I'm totally swing positive and coke tolerant. Just yeah, whatever you do. <laughs> oh man, you do you, you know. Yeah. Any final thoughts on the menu? Oh, dessert. Ooh, dessert. <laughs> You're right. We didn't even talk about dessert. We didn't about us having some tonight, but we also didn't talk about um, yeah the. <laughs> They just sat there and let them put it all on them. It was so warped. It was really hard to determine, like, if they enjoyed it, you know, like, or if they wanted to die. Like, Mm -hmm. they had so much ability to leave that situation or to at least not just be like, I don't know, anybody could have stopped anybody, it felt like. Yeah. Well, I feel like the bottom line of that is rich people don't know how to do things for themselves. Sure. So without someone like shepherding them out or showing them how to get (laughs) just escape, really, they were like, Oh, I guess I'll just sit here and wait for my handler. You know, I still think like that's one of the darkest things about the whole entire storyline of the movie is that Tyler didn't get to experience the dessert, even though like (laughs) even however warped it was, he would have like really liked it. Mm hmm. I thought Tyler's sin yeah. was sloth. Huh. Because, like, he coveted what the chef and all the staff had done so much, but, like, never did anything for himself. And so then they kind of put him on display and humiliated him because he didn't really know how to do anything that he was constantly judging others on. I don't know if it's sloth, though. Maybe gluttony is part of it. Mm. Like. I don't know. That can't be it either. I guess I thought that because it's kind of lazy, right? To judge people for something you don't even do. Maybe. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. He seemed like a really active, judgy guy. Yeah. You know? <laughs> he was like really busy judging people. Yeah, what it that's true. Like. <laughs> He's putting in a lot of work at being <laughs> annoying. So I don't know. Because I don't know if there is like a, a character for every one of the seven deadly sins, mm-hmm. but it definitely. I could see that. It just definitely felt just, you know, mm-hmm. just desserts. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. felt that way. And also just like the idea of the s'more being like, I've seen that in a lot of restaurants as like a higher end concept of like a deconstructed s'more uh, yeah. or like a fondue tabletop, s- tableside s'more. And just the way he broke it down in its essence for being like the worst. Yeah. Yeah. I did appreciate the nod to, like, child labor with the cocoa. Um, Mm -hmm. I also felt like that could have been wrath, like, the whole thing burning down, killing everyone. Oh, I think he had the wrath, if anybody did. Yeah, for sure. And I loved how she... I love their little chocolate hats. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Melting on their faces. And I do love that, like, she had such an uh, like amazing uh, i mean i went to burger king last night because that (laughs) burger looked so good and i'm also like vegan so (laughs) i went to burger king to get 
I did all the research I could. Green Bay, your restaurants close at 6 freaking 30. So I went to Burger yeah. King because they have the Impossible Whopper there. I got home and I was so excited and... I just like dug in, like uh, remembering the most satisfying burger I've ever seen in my life. And I took a bite and I just said to Kristen, it's like, oh, yeah, it's definitely not as good as the movie. <laughs> <laughs> definitely worse than the movie. I uh, didn't see explosions in your eyes. <laughs> yeah. Mm. yeah, it was definitely a very lukewarm and mediocre um dry burger from burger king it um, smelled good oh i'm glad i got it i mean hit the spot hit the trashy spot hit the hit the below minimum wage <laughs> tax bracket of a spot it hit the spot right where my missing tooth is and i was like oh that doesn't even hurt uh, <laughs> i'm just kidding it never does but <laughs> i love that it ended with a burger cuz i feel like there's so much focus on status and class you know like people can live completely different lives even based on the food that they buy you know you have whole foods and all these fancy experiences and it's like these are things we just need to sustain ourselves to live that whole i love that expression like um eat to live not live to eat Mm -hmm. you know which is not about cuisine and fine dining. It's about portion control. Oh. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things I really liked about the burger scene, too, and this was, like, super intentional, but it didn't probably stick out at, for everybody, but the fact that she asked him, how much is that going to cost me? And it was mm-hmm. nine ninety five, including the fries. And that's such a not rich person question. Like, does it come with fries? Yeah. You know? If you notice, you go to rich people restaurants, they don't put prices on the menu. Right. I hate that shit. And a lot of it's a la carte. Ugh. You know? So for her to ask, first of all, a burger to be less than $10 in this economy is Mm -hmm. pretty incredible. And the fact that it comes with fries is... And then even in all the tension of her leaving, she still reached in and grabbed him the ten the ten dollars. She didn't tip though. No, but he did mention that it was a. I don't know if this is before or after she left, but that the gratuity was built in there on oh, a no tipping yeah, system. Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. You yeah. are right. And also, no server brought it to her. The chef did. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> I really like that because as a sex worker, that's like number one: get paid, be clear, mm-hmm. and get paid. You know. Not that I've done any sex work, but I've been asked to take off my clothes at comedy shows. So. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, being a lady you, in comedy. Can you edit that out? Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> I didn't do it. She's uh, naked right now. <laughs> I've, been asked, I've been asked to strip down on some podcasts. <laughs> and you're like, please put your shirt on. <laughs> well, I've been Burt Kreischer. And... <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you imagine if we just did a podcast recording shirtless? We're both shirtless yeah, right now. Like, Don't ruin it. Do you want to shave my chest or should I <laughs> shave yours? Yeah. So this will come out mid-February. Uh, is there anything you would like to people to know about? I'm doing Cincinnati on the 25th at Helltown, and then I'm very, very excited. I'm headlining the Orpheum Theater Ooh. in Galesburg, Illinois on March 4th, and then a different Orpheum Theater in Flagstaff on March 11th. So nice. Yeah. nice. We'll have links to all that in the show episode. You can also find me on WikiFeet, and that's <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> Life's a horror show, baby. Ah, 
Venmo Rena if you've looked at her wiki feet. Yeah, I don't get paid for that. Be good people. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's been Rena Com. I've been Kristen Lighty, and this has been Bloody Mary. Have a good night. Peter. <laughs> Yeah.